this verse together. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Well, that verse has kind of been the theme of our whole series. It's where we derive the, the title of this series, Rooted in Jesus Christ. And what that life looks like, we've kind of been fleshing that out uh, starting last week in the more practical chapters in the chapters three and four. So, hey, this morning, let's do a little, uh, little survey this morning, OK? Uh, raise your hand if this has ever happened to you. If you've ever walked into uh, to a, a place or an event, uh, it may have been a party. Uh, it may have been a restaurant. It may have been a church service. Uh, it may have been on a job interview. It may have been on a date, but, but wherever, whatever it was, wherever you were doing, uh, but you walked in and immediately you became painfully aware uh, that you guessed it wrong when it came to the dress code. Anybody ever had that experience? Yeah. Yeah. How many of you, uh, if, if you err on the side of overdressed, underdressed, how many of you guess wrong and err on the side of being overdressed too often? Anybody like that this morning? Overdressed. Yeah, that, that's Tasha. Uh, Tasha has a rule. She says, when in doubt, overdressed. That's just kind of a rule she has. OK, how many of you, when you guess wrong, you err on the side of being underdressed? Anybody like that? Yeah, the rest of you are totally perfect. And so you're not welcome here. OK, but that, listen, that is me. I am a habitual underdresser. I am so laid back and uh, so just so casual that I just I get it wrong over and over. And sometimes it, it is so embarrassing. I remember taking Tasha uh, to a very nice restaurant one time, special occasion, and uh, they actually came over and, and brought me a jacket. The host had brought me a jacket and asked me if I would, wouldn't mind buttoning it up. And, and I looked over to Tasha and I said, baby, that's why I call her. And she said, yes, Stallion. That's what she just. <laughs> I never can get that out. <laughs> I said, this is a classy place. And at first, I just thought, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, this is classy. And then I looked around and there were lots of people who were not wearing jackets. And those who were wearing jackets, most of them did not have their jackets buttoned. And so I just called the host over and I just said, hey, I said, I don't want to make a scene, but there are lots of people without jackets on. And those who do have jackets, uh, th- th- their jackets not is not buttoned up. And so. You know, what, what gives here? And he said, sir, he said, I'm sorry, but uh, we don't mean to offend you, but you're in violation of our dress code. And I said, well, where is that posted at? And then right there, he just pointed. There's a little brass engraved sign uh, right by the door. And there it was. I was totally wrong. Right on the sign, it said tube tops not permitted. I mean, I just totally just totally undershot. All right. You're welcome for that imagery. Amen. Who knew? <laughs> that wasn't true. I was just preaching a little bit. OK. My nine-year-old son must have a fear of uh, being, but not knowing the dress code as well, because a couple of months ago, he needed some new t-shirts. And uh, so Tasha said, hey, we're going to pick out a couple shirts, and I'm going to get them, and, and we're going to let you pick one. And he said, great. And so he searched around, and he comes back, and he, was, he, he gets this shirt. And it's his favorite shirt. It is one of those tuxedo t-shirts. You know what I'm talking about? And here, here's what he said. He said, Dad, he said, he said, I can wear it. He said, it's kind of fancy, but kind of not. And I said, Amen. Amen, it is. And I said, son, you just need the matching haircut, the mullet, the Kentucky waterfall, because I said it's business in the front and party in the back. And so I said, it, too, is kind of fancy, but kind of not. OK, 
What's all I have to do with the text this morning? Well, this morning, I'm going to share a message with you entitled Appropriate Attire. And we're going to look this morning at Colossians chapter 3, the message entitled Appropriate Attire. This, this is what it looks like in Colossians chapter 3 when we get it right. And so he's going to say, hey, take off some things. And we kind of started that list last week. Get rid of these garments because they're not appropriate. And these are things you should be putting on when you begin to walk out uh, your faith in Jesus Christ. And I realize I was told that uh, lots of graduations today, East and West, and I think Mason. So I'm going to try and be briefer uh, than normal this morning on purpose, especially in light of the fact that uh, I got all stirred up last week and preached for a couple of hours. But this morning, uh, we're only going to look at verses 8 through 13, where Paul instructs us to put off some habits, much like casting aside uh, a dirty garment and put on some other items if we're going to be dressed appropriately as those who are children of the king. OK, so that's kind of the backdrop here. Let's pick it up in chapter three. Uh, let's pick up the text in verse eight. And so chapter three, he says, hey, listen, here's the standard, the throne room, verses one and two. And he says, as a result of that standard, here's some things you should get rid of in your life, some habits uh, you should cast aside like a dirty garment. And we looked at one uh, verse five last week, and then he picks up another one here in verse eight. So that's kind of the backdrop. We'll pick up the text here in verse eight. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And so as a result of those truths, therefore, verse 12, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I just love this passage of Scripture that we started last week. It is so practical. Remember, chapters 1 and 2 is so strong in theology, defending the supremacy of Jesus Christ, uh, claiming the supremacy of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. And then chapter 3 says, hey, listen, if you believe all of those truths, here's what it looks like to live out of those truths. And here's some things that should characterize your life. And so it is so, so practical, uh, this passage here. And so in looking at this, uh, we, we began last week to realize there are some things that once I start following Christ, there are some things I've got to get rid of. And last week in, in verse 5, we looked at this whole idea of sexual sin, and he kind of started off with the action, and then he moved to the heart of the issue, which was covetousness, which is coming to the place where I just am consumed by my desire to have something that does not belong to me. And so uh, he lists another thing to get rid of here in verse 8, and this time he starts off in the opposite direction when he tells us that the dress code of the new man requires casting aside the garment of sinful speech. Oh, do we need some work in this one? And so if you would ask me, based upon my experience as a pastor alone, uh, what area of our lives, what area are we totally content to walk around with dirty clothes on? Where we just walk around as dirty clothes and we justify it, we kind of explain it and rationalize the way, where we're totally content to live in an area of our life with a standard that is less than personal holiness, that is far below the throne room of Jesus Christ in chapters 3, verses 1 and 2. This would be the area, the area of sinful speech. Now, he begins to list this out in verse 8, and here's what he does in verse 8. He takes the exact opposite approach as he did in verse 5. Verse 5, he started with the action, and then he moved to the heart issue. 
But here in verse 10, he does just the opposite. He starts off with the heart issue or the motive. Then he moves towards the actions. He says, here, listen, here's the three things that are going on in the heart of a person who consistently is marked by sinful speech. And here's three ways that it shows up. So he goes in just the opposite direction. So he uses these words, uh, put on and put off. And these are some interesting words. He used them in verse 9 and verse 10 and 12. He talks about putting on. But here in this, these verses, the, the idea of putting off is a word that is used for removing clothing like a man who at the end of the day had worked and had gotten filthy in his clothes. And so at the end of the day, he, there's nothing that made him happier than just to put off those dirty garments and to put on something that was clean. And so that's the imagery he says. He says, listen, if these things are present in your life, these things, sinful uh, speech, then you should come and you should come so grieved by those so uncomfortable in those clothes as a Christ follower that you just have an inner desire to put those things off like dirty clothes. John MacArthur in his comments here on Colossians gives the illustration and then he ends with a piercing question. He says, imagine that the unbeliever is like a beggar, filthy, clothed only in rags and then comes to Christ. He throws away the old and he gets a robe of white righteousness. Now listen to this. He said, but then he goes out and finds his rags and puts them back on again. He says, if you have trouble imagining that, you're not examining your own life because that precisely is what we do, isn't it? Is that not true? That God has given us all these things. God said, hey, here's some things you should walk around and here's some things that are going to get you noticed for the sake of the kingdom. And over and over, you're going back and getting your old garments and putting them on and you're wearing them around. Sometimes you're not aware of it. Sometimes you're aware, but you're justifying it's not that dirty or they've got dirty clothes on too, right? He says, no, no, no. Put all those things off. Let's take a closer look at these things in this common besetting sin of sinful speech. Let's look back again in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, but now... As a result of what you believe who Jesus Christ is. But now you yourselves are to put off. There's that, that language. All of these. And then he begins to just walk through this list. Anger and wrath and malice. And blasphemy and filthy language. And verse 9. Do not lie to one of those since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, now we're just going to kind of hit the surface this morning and, and we don't have to dig down very deep because it's not, there's not a deeper meaning. These terms are so clear, but I just want us to walk through this. And even though we're just hitting these at a surface level, the goal is this, as I walk through those things is to take honest, and that's the key word, honest inventory of my life and go, Hey, am I wearing these clothes around? But someone look at me and say, you've got on dirty clothes and, and it's wrath and malice and all those kinds of things. So take inventory because this list is about information. This list is about evaluation that can lead to transformation. OK, so let's walk through this list. First three are heart issues or motives. And then it goes to three actions. The first heart issue going on is this. It simply is the word anger. The word here means a deep down smoldering, resenting kind of bigness, bitterness, slow burning. This is a person who just habitually is angry. Listen, it's always there. Just waiting for someone to come along and fan it into a flame. But the underlying tone or personality, you would look at this person you just described, you would say, you know what, I don't know what it is, I don't know what happened, I don't know who did what to them, but I would look and I would characterize their life generally as just kind of an angry person. Maybe not even explosive, but there's just this underlying tone of bitterness in their life. And he says, hey, listen, if that characterized your life, put it off. Put it off. This is the person who there's always a reservoir. 
that can be called up at a moment's notice. Do you know people like that? Let me ask you a more important question. Are you like that? Are you like that? You know, the greatest mistake in walking through this list is to walk through this list. And we're just going to kind of hit it on a surface level is to walk through this list and think in your mind. Oh, I wish fill in the blank was here. Hey, let me let you know a secret this morning. You're here. And this message is for you. All right. I'm not preaching to the people who aren't here. I'm preaching to you this morning. OK. And so the question is not, you know, do I know someone like that? Because it kind of helps me illustrate the real question is, am I like that? Am I walking around the dirty garment, just kind of genuinely angry, just always kind of smoldering, just kind of got a scowl on my face, just waiting for someone to fan that that smoldering into a flash flame of just this outburst? He says, put it off. Should never characterize the believer in Jesus Christ. And so then he goes on and moves into the second, which is kind of going from deep down, kind of moving outward into the actions here. If you follow uh, the the flow of the thought here, the second thing he lists here uh, in verse eight is this. It's the word wrath. It's the word wrath. In verse 8, in the Greek, it's the word tumas. And this is described as the quick blaze of anger that flares up. This is with the person who, yes, it's smoldering, but, but they're not beyond letting that smoldering thing quickly be fanned into a flame. All of a sudden, just poof. And you know what the most common thing that, that, that I think when I'm around a person like that is this. Where did that come from? You know, you, you just say something you think is innocent or you think that didn't offend you or just, you know, you do something and, you know, it didn't turn out quite like you wanted, but your heart was in the right place. All of a sudden, just you're thinking, did I just get consumed by an inferno? What happened? The Greeks had a saying about this word. They said it's like setting a fire in straw. Just a little flame, a little thicker, and they're just consumed. This is the person who we would describe, you know, they always get mad, but they get over it real quick. Do you know people like that? Oh, they get mad. I mean, like that. But then, then they're over it just as quick as they got mad. They're over it. Do you know people like that? But more importantly, are you like that? Wrath. Then he moves on to, to another to a heart issue before he gets in the actions. And so he goes from anger, kind of smoldering wrath, kind of a flash fire. And then he goes into malice, which is the intent fostering of ill will. The word malice in the Greek has a definition that will be described as the desire to injure. Now, the best way I can think to describe uh, this type of person is this. A person who is filled with malice always has an agenda against someone else. And it's not a good one. Okay, this is the person who is a habitual scorekeeper. And in their mind, they're always trying to get even. They just just have this motive. They're never happy when someone else is happy. They never want the best for other people. They're just always plotting and scheming and thinking, how can I bring this person down? How can I even the score where they wronged me? This is the person whose life is characterized by malice. They're a scorekeeper and they obsess, obsess about getting even with those who have wronged them in their mind. Do you know people like that? Let me ask you a more important question. Are you like that? Are you like that? And so he says, here's all these heart issues going on. Smoldering kind of anger. I'm just a generally kind of angry person. Or I'm a person who wrath can consume. All of a sudden, that smoldering thing can whoosh, flash. You know, this huge fire can just an inferno within seconds. Where I'm just a person who, you know what? My whole agenda is trying to uh, get even with those who I feel like have wronged me. He says that's all what's going on in the heart of a person whose life is characterized by the besetting sin of sinful speech. You ever wonder this? You ever said this in your life? I don't know why I said that. I didn't mean for that to come out like that. 
I don't mean to come across that harsh or that angry. I don't know why I do that all the time. A person who is constantly apologizing for what comes out of their mouth. You say, what? why is that happening? Because these are the things that are going on in their heart. They're either angry or they're characterized by wrath or they're just a person who is driven by malice. And so those are the hard issues going on. Then he moves into the habits of sinful speech. Now, in my own life, here's a hard thing. It's hard to take inventory of your heart, isn't it? It's hard to honestly look inside of your heart and go, oh, I see that totally going on. I see that idol factory just making those things and, and engaging in idol worship. I totally see that and I repent of that. That's a difficult thing. And so, you know, the best way to gauge what's going on in my heart, it's what comes out of my mouth. It's whatever. We said this several months ago in a teaching series. Whatever is in the well will come out in the water. And so if you ever hear a person whose life is characterized by sinful speech and, and they don't recognize it, just take, uh, evaluate what's coming out of their mouth because that's what's in their heart. And so what does it look like? He gives three habits of sinful speech. Uh, the first one he finds here in verse 8, he moves from malice. Uh, then he says blasphemy. Now, in some of your translations, it translates slander. And I think that's the better translation. That's the better choice uh, there if your Bible says that now. Blasphemy, uh, we think of vertically in relation to God, speaking disparagingly of the character of God. But slander is more horizontal. It's disparaging the people around us. And some people aren't happy. Are you with me this morning? Some people aren't happy unless they can tear someone else down so they in turn feel better about themselves. Everything that comes out of the mouth is critical. Everything is disparaging. Everything is just, well, did you hear about this? Yeah, but. And some of you grew up with parents like that. It shaped you. And some of you are around an employer like that. And some of you are married to a person like that. Some of you are sitting around someone who's like that this morning. And every intent of their speech is just to degrade or slander someone else. One commentator said, he said, blasphemy and slander are common choices there. And he said, but they're so closely related. He said, because here's a forgotten truth. And this is a great statement. Think about this. If you're a person who's just critical in your speech, loves to criticize, loves to tear other people down. Here's what he said. He said, think about this. He said, every time you slander a man, you slander God indirectly because that man or that woman was made by God and in God's image. And so whenever I slander someone horizontally, then guess what? Indirectly, I'm blaspheming a God who made them and saying, God, you made a mistake when you made that person. I'm so aware of those mistakes. I can list them. And so when I, blast, when I slander someone else, I'm indirectly blaspheming God. Now, here, listen, let's make this real practical. You think about that the next time you're in traffic. Amen. I've got a friend who said he loves Christ. He's a godly guy. And he just said, you know what? He said, I just realized that... Um, he said, road rage was nothing more than, than sinful speech. And he said, I was a, a terrible offender. And he said, I need to renew my mind around that truth and recognize that every time I scream to those people, number one, they can't hear me. By the way, if you're a road rager, they can't hear you. All right. Did you know this as well? That if you laugh on a TV show, they, they can't hear you when you talk to the TV either. Right. But we still do it. And so when someone comes, we're just, you know, waxing eloquent, waxing poetic about what a terrible person they are in traffic. And they can't even hear us. He said, I knew that. But he said, I just couldn't control myself. And so he said, I just retrained my mind to think of that person in a different way. I said, what do you do? And he said this. He said, I recognize they're a person made in the image of God. 
And he said, so instead of screaming out some, something I can't repeat when they cut me off or pull out in front of me, he said, every time that happens, he said, now I'm still smacking the steering wheel, but he said, at least this is what's coming up. He said, every time someone wrongs me in traffic, he said, here's what happens in my car. He said, you immortal soul for whom Christ died. He said, I, and I looked over his wife and I said, are you serious? She said, oh, it happens all the time. Just just put that into your practice, all right? Every time someone wrongs you in traffic, you just, you, listen, I don't know if it's simple to smack the steering wheel or not, but you just cry out, you immortal soul for whom Christ died. He said, slander. He said, if your life is characterized by slander, put it off. Get rid of it. It is a filthy rag. And so do you and I know people like that? More importantly, are we people like that? And then he moves on to this one. He moves from blasphemy or slander, close related there. And then he moves on uh, to this idea in chapter 3, verse 8, uh, where he talks about filthy language. Now, different translations translate this different way. In the Greek, it means obscene language. It's the same uh, Greek word is used in Ephesians 4.29. It's the word sapros, which literally is translated rotten. So this is shameful, obscene or rotten speech. This is the person uh, who, who just you know, who professes Christ. Uh, but just talks like a sailor. And if you're a sailor here, I don't know that I don't mean to offend anybody. All right. This is a person who you're around. You just you just find yourself blushing. You're embarrassed for them because they're not embarrassed. He says, put it off. Now, let me tell you the danger in this one. The danger in this one is this. If filthy, obscene speech is coming out of my mouth. That's offensive. And he says, put that off. But let me tell you the great danger behind that one. If it's coming out of my mouth with regularity, guess where it's actually at? It's in my heart. And if that obscene filthiness is, is, is actually coming out of my mouth because it's in my heart, guess what? It'll eventually show up in my actions, according to verse five. And so he says, put it off. Do we know people like that? More importantly, do you talk like that? And then he gives one last characteristic here in chapter three, verse nine. He says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, have you ever heard this an acronym? KISS. K-I-S-S. It stands for keep it simple. What? Stupid. Yeah, but that's not a nice word. We're in church, right? And so I'm going to change. It. I'm going to say keep it simple saints. All right. Listen, this one is so elementary. So elementary, if we're going to identify ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, who describes himself as the truth, then guess what? There's probably a good chance that our speech should be characterized with integrity, right? One of the most confusing things to me is this. It's a person who lies for no reason about things that don't even matter. You know, I walked down the street and I was wearing a, a red red suit. I don't, I don't own a red suit. I would never wear a red suit. I don't know why I even said that. But, 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 you know, and actually I was wearing a blue suit. Just, just silly things. Paul said, that's so simple, so elementary. He says, put it off. Put it off. Now, let, let's just get honest here this morning. When we walk through these things, these three heart motives and these three habits here in verses 8 and 9, we just walk through that. It's not rocket science. It is so elementary. I mean, for a person whose life is hidden with Christ in God, it seems this is so elementary. This is an area where, but, but here's the deal. Can we all just get honest this morning? That this is an area that is so easy to engage in. This is an area that is so elementary that we overlook it. This is an area that we're totally content to walk around with dirty clothes and justify it and look horizontally instead of vertically and all of these kinds of things. This is the battle for the heart, because whatever's in my heart is coming out of my mouth. 
This is such a common besetting sin for so many people. Let me just get real practical before we move on to the put on section and begin to wrap things up this morning. Let me tell you two things. You should write these things down. How to put off of a setting sin, particularly sinful speech. Number one, how do you put off of a setting sin? Number one, starve them. You just starve them. How do I kill this besetting sin in my life? I starve it. I don't feed anger. I don't feed uh, resentment. I don't feed sexual desire. I don't feed covetousness. Don't give it anything. You just starve it to death. And so let me offer you a practical challenge this week. Let me challenge each of you this week to starve the idea of sinful speech and let nothing come out of your mouth that will be characterized as sinful speech. Go a whole week like that. No degrading, no filthy talk, no ill will, no criticism. No road rage. If it is, only, only one for right? the immortal soul for whom Christ died. Write that down, okay? Go a whole week like that. And then come back and tell me next week what God did in your heart. It's just, first off, you just starve it. You don't feed that thing. And secondly, here's the positive. That's the negative. Secondly, the positive is memorize Scripture. If you were to ask me one of the greatest spiritual disciplines that also is the least used, it's the idea of memorizing Scripture. Because the Bible says this, that if I want to transform my heart, it starts off with renewing my mind. And how does that happen? By saturating my mind with the Word of God. One a week, one a month, it doesn't matter. He says, just fill your mind with these things, things that are right, things that are pure, and it will transform your life. So put off the setting sins by starving them on the negative, on the positive, renewing my mind by memorizing Scripture. Now, if you want to have a besetting sin, like particularly as it relates to sinful speech, I'm going to tell you this morning how to let it continue to grow. If you're here and you just say, you know what, that's me. I'm feeling totally convicted, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And so I just want this uh, besetting sin of sinful speech. I just want it to keep growing in my life. I like it. It's a lot of fun for me. It helps me get my way. It's how I handle conflict. How does the person let, let that just grow and grow and grow? Well, he lists one thing here in verse 11. And that what he's saying here is this, is if you want to let it grow, just blame sins of speech on your personality or your background or anything like that. You say, where does, where does that come from? Look at verse 11, chapter 3. He gives all these things, put on, put off all these things. Then he goes, put off sinful speech. And there's no break in the thought here in the original language. He said, well, there's neither Greek nor Jew and circumcised. So he gives all these backgrounds and origins and classes and different things. Now, when we first look at verse 11, what we think of is the oneness of the body of Christ. And there's a parallel passage that would allude to that as well. But in this context, what he's saying is this. It doesn't matter where you came from. There is no excuse for walking around in dirty garments like sinful speech. It doesn't matter about those things. This context, he says, it's the old life. It's saying we can no longer excuse wrong conduct on the basis of class or background or origin. And those in verse 11 are just examples of all those categories. You ever someone say this? I have a bad temper, but I can't help it because I'm Irish. <laughs> or you know what? I have a real problem with lust, but I'm Italian. You know, you know Italians, we're just hot blooded, right? Or I'm just totally blunt. I don't, I don't think about it. I'm just blunt in my speech. But that's just how we are in my family. Listen, that's exactly what he's addressing here. Just sweeping it under the rug of background or origin or personality. Well, that's just, he said, no, no, no. That may be who you were, but the old you died. And so put on the new you in Jesus Christ and be transformed by the power of Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. What else does it require? So those are the things to put off. 
Let me tell you one thing that's going to hit quickly this morning. Here's the things you've got to put on. Appropriate attire requires not only to put off, but it also requires that we dress the part convincingly. We dress the part convincingly. Your beliefs impress yourself. Your actions impress others. Have you noticed this in life? That we love to judge other people based upon their actions, but we like to judge ourselves based upon our intentions. You know, the problem with that is that they're doing the same thing thus. And so the only thing they can evaluate is our actions. And what he's saying here, Paul is saying in verses 12 and 13 in chapter 3, there should be some things, there should be some things that other people can see that are so convincing that they cannot dispute your devotion to Jesus Christ. They may disagree with it, but the evidence is so overwhelming, they cannot dispute your inner devotion to Jesus Christ. He said, what does that look like? We well, begins to list several things. And we're just going to walk through a few this morning. Look at verse 12 in chapter 3. He says, therefore, as a result of being the elect of God, holy, set apart, and beloved, put on. He's getting a list of appropriate attire for the follower of Jesus Christ. Just got through all the put-offs. Here's the put-on. Put on tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and long suffering and bearing with another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against you, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And so he begins to list these seven things here. We're just going to look at the first three this morning on kind of a surface level for the sake of time. And so even though we're just kind of hitting the surface and we'll pick up the other ones next week, just ask the spirit of God to search your heart. Appropriate require, uh, attire requires us to first off put on tender mercies. Some of your translations use the word compassion. It literally means bowels of sympathy. In the Hebrew mind, the, the, the bowels were kind of the seat of the emotions. And this is a person who's characterized by genuine sympathy for the plight of other people. Listen, I've just got to confess some sin this morning that on my gift mix and my spiritual gift mix, mercy is just low on that order. And so I work very hard at never being externally harsh to anyone, but sometimes I'm just not as compassionate internally as I think Christ wants me. It's an area this week that God just pressed down in my heart and said, hey, Brad, you're not even close, man. You need so much growth in this area. And so does it describe you a person of compassion? Then he moves on to the second trait, a person, he says, kindness. This is the action that reveals compassion. This is benevolence in action. Show me a person. Show me a person who says, oh, I'm so compassionate, but never displays acts of kindness towards other people. Guess what? I will show you a person who is self-deceived. Compassion, inner, moving to action, kindness. And then the third one we're just going to look at this morning. He lists here in, in verses 12 and 13 is humility. Don't you just love to be around humble people? Raise your hand if you are one. Would you just... You know, Theologian John Stott called humility this. He said it's the rarest and fairest of all Christian virtues. Let me tell you what humility is not. Okay, because it's so confused sometimes. Humility is not, and I think this gets mislabeled, humility is not shyness or quietness. Do you understand that? That's a personality trait. Humility is a spiritual maturity trait in my life. It's a character quality. A person may be shy and they may not talk to anyone because they're incredibly prideful and they think everyone's beneath them. So don't ever go around and say, oh, they're so humble. How do you know? Well, they're quiet. No, that's not the same thing. Quiet is a personality trait. Humility is the trait of mature believer. 
Okay, so it's not that. Let me tell you also what humility is not. Humility is not self-depreciation. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm such a worm. I'm, I'm just so terrible. Only God could love me. That's false humility, all right? Humility is not self-depreciation. A person who's humble doesn't think, uh, doesn't think less of themselves. Write this down. Humble people do not think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less often. Let me repeat that. Humble people do not think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less often. Apostle Paul described this in another passage in the New Testament. He said, regard others as better than ourselves. And so you're a person who others would consistently describe as someone who regards others better than themselves. Or you're a person who doesn't think less of themselves, but it's just who thinks of themselves less often. And we're going to pick up that list next week in verse 13 and look at verses 13 through 17 together. But I just want to close with a little challenge this morning. It's an old challenge, but God just kind of renewed my mind around this week in light of this passage. You know, next week, and it's, this is, uh, this, I think I got this right. Next week, I've been in full-time ministry, not next week, next month. I've been in full-time ministry 11 years uh, next month. And so, if you're just doing the math, that means I was somewhere around 8 or 9 years old when, when God called me. And so, but, but 11 years uh, next month, and uh, I, I just can't believe it. I just solely by the grace of God. You know, this weekend is, is graduation weekend uh, for lots of you. And uh, I look back and, and uh, you know, around graduation, all those things. And you know how in the yearbook, uh, you've got those awards. It's like most likely to succeed or, you know, most likely to become the president or most likely to, you know, have a good time or, you know, I don't know, fill in the blank, right? Listen, if, if there would have been an award given it under mine, it would have been this. Most likely to never be a pastor, okay? I, did, I would have totally won that award. And so I look back these last 11 years, just totally the grace of God. And so 11 years of ministry has flown by. But before I was in ministry full time, I was a student pastor for a year part time. And then I worked, I volunteered in, a, in student ministry before that. And so I spent some time in student ministry. And in student ministry, uh, it seemed like over and over, every event we went to, every devotion that somebody gave, they, they kind of asked this, this question. And honestly, I got a little tired of it. But after studying this passage, I understand that question a little bit better. And I have a little greater appreciation for it in the backdrop of putting on and putting off in Colossians 3. And so in light of that passage, you've probably heard it before, but I want you to think of it against the backdrop of Colossians 3. Here's the question. If you're on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would the case against you be so airtight because there is a demonstrable track record of the things you put off before you knew Christ and the things you've put on since you know Christ, that the evidence would be overwhelming. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are children of the King. Amen? Let's make sure we dress the part. And let's start, if you haven't, by putting on the robe of righteousness that is found in giving our lives to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We invite you to bow your heads this morning if you would.